0: Welcome again to Adventist Fact Check. This week, we are looking at Lesson 9 from the first quarter's lessons for 2024, which are simply entitled Psalms. Now, this week's lesson is called, Blessed is He Who Comes in the Name of the Lord. And finally, the Adventist Quarterly is spending a week, one week, (laughs) showing how the Psalms prefigure and foretell the Lord Jesus And good for them, because that's a huge portion of what's in the Psalms, and that's something I didn't even really understand as an Adventist. But we're going to talk about how some really significant things have occurred in this week's lessons that obfuscate who Jesus really is and what he really did, and even mention the investigative judgment of all things. But before we do that, I want to remind you that if you want to listen to this series as podcasts that are just audio. You can find them on any podcast server. They're entitled Adventist Fact Check, and you can search for them and find them anywhere you listen to podcasts. So, as usual, I have selected three things to address from this week's lessons. The first is the author states that the pre-Advent judgment is mentioned in Daniel 7. The second is That the lesson accurately mentions Psalm 110, prefiguring the Lord Jesus as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, but it fails to connect that Psalm to Hebrews 7, where that priesthood is described. And third, in a lesson showing Jesus prefigured in the Psalms, EGW is quoted, identifying him as our example and the provider of our power. Well, let's dive into that first one first. The pre-Advent judgment, or the investigative judgment, is mentioned in this lesson, and this is only seven days of lessons, supposedly on the Psalms, and it mentions that the investigative judgment is mentioned in Daniel 7. They call it the pre-Advent judgment, and mind you, that's Daniel, not the Psalms. And ironically, even more, this mention is in the one day devoted to explaining that Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It's completely contradictory to the title of the day's lesson. In order to understand how mentioning Daniel 7 and the pre-Advent judgment can't be correct, I'm going to read the section from Daniel 7 where they get this idea. Now, the lesson merely refers to Daniel 7, but I'm going to read in context four verses where the judgment scene is described in Daniel 7. And I'm going to explain that these verses come at the end of the vision where Daniel sees those horrible beasts that arise from the sea, the beasts that prefigure the Gentile empires that are going to dominate the nation of Israel during the times of the Gentiles, which we're still living in, by the way. And in context, this judgment scene occurs at the end of his vision of that fourth horrible beast, and it's connected to the destruction of that beast. So, in context, this judgment scene is talking about the future judgment of the Lord on the earth when he destroys his enemies. That clearly hasn't happened yet. It can't be the investigative judgment or the so-called pre-advent judgment. Here are the four verses. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His clothing was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with fire. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, he came near before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not be taken away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed." That's Daniel 7, 9 and 10, 13 and 14. This passage, in context, is describing the great white throne judgment, which occurs in Revelation 20 at the end of the millennium, which we haven't reached yet. Adventists have used this passage in Daniel to support their spurious investigative judgment, but it is such a contrivance that judgment idea cannot fit into this vision. And if you read this vision in context, it simply isn't there. The second thing we're going to address is the idea that Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek and that Psalm 110 introduces him that way. That is true. In fact, this particular Psalm 110 is extremely significant when seen in the context of the other two places in the Bible where Melchizedek is talked about. Genesis 14, where he is introduced, where Abraham pays him a tithe after the battle of the kings, and where he is identified as a priest and a king of Salem. Now, in Genesis 14, which isn't dealt with in the lesson at all, Melchizedek is a king priest. He is a king priest before there was a law. Israel was not yet a nation. Abraham had not yet born his son, his grandson, or his great-grandsons who became the nation of Israel. But Melchizedek is likened to the priesthood of the Lord Jesus in Hebrews 7. And we can't miss the point that the order of Melchizedek, which is attributed to the Lord Jesus, both in Psalm 110 and in Hebrews 7, is a priesthood that had nothing to do with the Mosaic law. The Ten Commandments were not in view. This is a unique priesthood, a priesthood that exists before and after the law. Now, the really fascinating and disturbing thing about this lesson is that the author does not mention Hebrews 7 he is talking about Jesus in the order of Melchizedek, as mentioned in Psalm 110. And ironically, the author refers to some passages in Hebrews 6, but not 7. Now, there is one place in Hebrews 6 where the name Melchizedek is mentioned, and that is in the very last verse, where it says, Jesus is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, But that verse leads directly into Hebrews 7, where that order is described and explained. And the author is very careful to explain why Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek instead of according to the order of Levi. The author makes no mention of that. And I suspect that he uses the references to Hebrews 6 kind of as an obfuscation because he has to know that Hebrews 7 is an explication of the order of Melchizedek. The author, as I've mentioned before, is Clifford Goldstein. He knows what Hebrews 7 says. He doesn't mention it. Now, because this is so important, because the lesson brings up the idea of Jesus according to the order of Melchizedek, I've chosen in this particular podcast to read to you passage from Hebrews 7 that the author never mentions. It's a bit long, but I'm going to read it because it is rich with an identification of the priesthood of our Lord Jesus. And I want you to pay close attention to what it says about the fact that Jesus, being in the order of Melchizedek instead of Levi, what it says about that in relationship to the law. Now, Here it is. I'm going to read Hebrews 7, 1 to 26. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth of all, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. He remains a priest continually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have a commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers, although they are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them had collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in that case, one receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And, so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it people received the law, What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such, not according to a law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed about him You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, For they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So much more, Jesus also has become the guarantee of a better covenant. And the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus on the other hand, because he lives forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens." I want you to notice that this passage in Hebrews 7 has two direct quotes from Psalm 110. The psalmist said, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, and the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. But does Clifford Goldstein even mention Hebrews 7 when he talks about Jesus according to the order of Melchizedek? No. He refers to some passages in Hebrews 6 that talk about the eternality of God and the faithfulness of his promises, and misses entirely the significance of why Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek and why that matters to us. This passage in Hebrews changes everything. Did you see Hebrews 7.12? For where there is a change of the priesthood of necessity, there is a change of the law also. We were taught that the law never changes because God never changes. God never changes, but God does change the way he deals with people. For example, he destroyed the world with a flood in Genesis. He is not destroying the world with water again, but as Peter says he is preserving it for fire. That's just one example. Our God who never changes still has times in the history of mankind where he deals with them in different ways. And the Lord Jesus is a new kind of priest. And did you also notice that Hebrews 7.11 said that the law was given on the basis of the Levitical priesthood, That shocked me. A few years ago when I read, well, actually, when I memorized this chapter, I had skimmed right over that many times. And I'm thinking, what? There wouldn't have been a covenant at Sinai apart from the Levitical priesthood, which was the foundation of the entire covenant, including the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath laws, those all stood on the Levitical priesthood. And with a new priesthood, we have a new law, the law of Christ. We have a new covenant established in the blood of the Lord Jesus. The omission of Hebrews 7 in this lesson has to be intentional. Finally, in Friday's lesson, the last one of the week, it ends with, yes, you guessed it, a quote by Ellen White. And this one comes right at the end of a week where Jesus has been shown to be prefigured in the Psalms, though, as we have also seen, without a whole lot of depth. But here is how the lesson ends, with this quote. This is what the lesson says. Ellen G. White insightfully describes Christ's unity with humanity. Quote, By His humanity, Christ touched humanity. By His divinity, He lays hold upon the throne of God. As the Son of Man, He gave us an example of obedience. As the Son of God, He gives us power to obey. It's no surprise to me that after omitting the mention of Hebrews 7, where Jesus, according to the order of Melchizedek, is explained in such clear words that he is the foundation of a whole new covenant and a whole new law, that Ellen White would resort to the typical Ellen White Adventist great controversy understanding of Jesus as primarily our example. No. No. Jesus did not come to be our example for keeping the law. Hebrews 7 alone, even if that were all we had, and it certainly isn't, tells us so clearly that Jesus came and is a priest of a different kind. He established a different law, a new law. He didn't come to show us how to keep that old one. He came to fulfill that old one and to usher in the law of Christ, a new law, a new covenant. And now he lives forever to make intercession for us. Ellen White told us that during the time of trouble, the Holy Spirit would be withdrawn from the earth and that those who passed the investigative judgment, though they didn't know they had passed, would have to stand alone in the sight of God without an intercessor, based on their character perfection. That used to terrify me. But Psalms and Hebrews are so clear. We are never without an intercessor. He lives forever to make intercession for us, and that is how we know sin will not ever rise again. We are always going to be in the presence of God because we are made alive in Christ, and his blood is our guarantee, our eternal guarantee of being safe with him. Our Lord Jesus is truly a priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. And when we trust him, we are transferred into a new kingdom and a new covenant with new security, new potential, and a new identity as God's adopted, born-again children. Trust Him today.